So uh, this is Dead Air with Kumar Medaliar. I am pleased to have my guest uh, Meredith Morris with us for our seventh or eighth episode. Uh, Meredith and I were neighbors when I lived in Oak Park when I moved there in 2010. And um, thank you so much for doing the interview with me today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for coming to Lockport to do the interview. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice... You just, so you're, you're saying that you did... Um, Radio in high school or in college? Radio in high school and college. I went to high school on the North Shore, the north north suburbs of Chicago, where we had a high school with a lot of exceptional opportunities, which weren't clear to me at the time that they were as exceptional as they were. Looking back now on high school, I can mm -hmm. see, wow, I was exposed to some nice opportunities that most people don't have in high school, but we had a radio station. Mm -hmm. So I did music, you know, DJing, music and news uh -huh. in high school. Uh -huh. And then in college, I had a couple of different music radio shows. And then when I was in graduate school for journalism, I did radio news near Baraboo, Wisconsin uh -huh. for half a year. Oh wow! So, so the you reporting a, and the... a lot of radio experience. Mm -hmm. well, yeah, it's better when no yeah. cameras are involved. Why is that? I'm just less self consciousness, I guess. Uh huh. More focus on the content, not worrying about how one looks, mm -hmm. not worrying about how you're dressed. Uh huh. There's some nice anonymity to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you have like, so where did you go to high school? New Trier. New Trier? New Trier High School, which is in Winnetka. Winnetka, in Illinois. Yes, north yeah. suburb of Chicago. North suburb of Chicago. So how was that, what was that like? High school wasn't my favorite part of life. Um, the north suburbs of Chicago are generally affluent. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of the um, people getting cars for their 16th birthday, you know, just a lot of the more conspicuous affluence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess. And a lot of privilege. A lot of privilege, a lot of pressure uh -huh. on how you look, what you wear, where you're going to college, mm -hmm. and the whole. Yeah. So a lot of status? A lot, a lot of status. That's uh -huh. the right word. Correct. And you felt out of place or you didn't really gravitate towards that even back then? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I sort of fell in with a fringe group of people who weren't, weren't doing the sports, weren't doing the popular things at the high school. Uh-huh. That we all went to the radio station. I think we all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that was great. That I did really enjoy, but the uh -huh. whole scene yeah. wasn't a very comfortable time. Yeah. I suppose for me. Mhm. Mm when I went to college, my father had gone to a Quaker college. He went to Haverford. Uh -huh. And he was very intent on my checking out Quaker education in our area in, in the Midwest because he was, he really had a good college experience himself. And honestly, I could not have cared less about whether a school was a Quaker school or not. I was looking at my range of colleges and he identified Earlham College, which is where I went because it's a Quaker school. Mm -hmm. And 
we did our college tour and it was a very a very good fit and uh-huh. a lot of liberal-minded people again just very down to earth in a way that my high school experience wasn't and a very small school a very small college whereas the mm-hmm. high school my high school graduating class was larger than my college really so how big was your college class about a thousand people Oh, my, no, my college was about 1,000 so people. So like 250 people almost per class. That's tiny mm-hmm. for college. Mm-hmm. And this is a Quaker school? Mm-hmm. Quaker affiliated. So what does that mean exactly? Like, So what is the Quaker? I don't know much about Quakerism. Um, inherent value of every person. Nobody is more important than any other person. We were all first names, faculty and students. Everyone was on a first name no basis. No hierarchy? No hierarchy. Uh-huh. Um, very much into the humanities and we all language or literature, science, religion, you know, everyone's taking a full a rounded curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um value of mm-hmm. education, value of the arts. Uh-huh. Just again, very humanistic. Like the liberal arts and everyone had the same mm-hmm. curriculum over there? Or would you... No, we all had a core humanities curriculum mm-hmm. that everyone had to take. And then beyond that, you could pick what you wanted. It wasn't like a great book school or something where you all uh-huh. progressed at the same through the same curriculum. It varied. Uh-huh. I'm not a religious person. Mm-hmm. But I found a lot of value. A Quaker service is silent worship, silent meeting. Mm-hmm. There's not clergy oh you all get together you sit in a circle with a Uh lot of people you sit in concentric circles Mm -hmm. and you sit and you reflect there's silence Hmm. for an hour and if people are so moved to say something you stand up and say it Uh and sometimes that motivates somebody else to stand up and say something Uh so you can have an hour-long worship with a lot of speaking yeah because everybody's inspiring everybody else to stand up. Or you can sit and be silent for the entire hour. Uh-huh. And I found that powerful in that it is hard to sit still for an hour. Yeah. We don't make time to do things like that in our lives, most of us. Mm-hmm. And um, in many ways, to me, that was a stronger religious experience than going to a traditional church uh-huh. and listening to a sermon. And that's what you grew up with? Were you going to those kind of services? No. Both of my parents are from Delaware. I'm born in Delaware. Uh-huh. And they had gone to Quaker education in primary and secondary school because that was sort of the default to public education. Mm-hmm. Like in Chicago, people often put their kids in... Catholic like, high school? Yeah. Uh-huh. Just to get them out of public school. Well, and because they embraced some of the values. My parents, same kind of thing. Uh They didn't come from Quaker families, but they both had gone through Quaker education because that's just how it is, where they were raised. In Delaware. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How did they meet? They met on a blind date. Uh They met on a blind date not until probably their later 20s. They didn't get married until early 30s. Is Delaware a small place? Delaware is a small state. Uh Uh-huh. Um, they're both from Wilmington, Delaware. Mm -hmm. My mother was working as an interior decorator for a while for Sears. Uh Sears was a more, what, a bigger name? Happening place. Yeah, a more happening place. And then she became an art teacher. She was an art teacher. Uh And she met my father. Mm -hmm. 
and he had been an English major at college and wound up taking a job with the Delaware Medical Society. Uh-huh. And that was a staff, as I understand, of two or three people, and his boss mm-hmm. suddenly died unexpectedly, so he found himself an English major who's now head of the Delaware Medical Society. So what is he doing <laughs> in that capacity? Um, running an association. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. So then he yeah. wound up taking a job with, at the time, Blue Shield. Uh-huh. Because Blue Shield and Blue Cross weren't merged uh-huh. yet. And came to Chicago with Blue Shield. Okay. And that's how we and- wound up in Evanston. They, they uh-huh. got a two flat in Evanston. Hmm. And that's where we lived. And that's where you grew up? That's where I grew up. Uh-huh. I was a kid in Evanston, and then they wanted to get into this North Shore school district because the the high school. Mm-hmm. And so you have one sister or more than... One uh, sister. Uh-huh. Her name is Lydia. Uh-huh. And she's about a year and a half younger than I, and she lives in Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, which part of Brooklyn? Park Slope. Oh, that's a nice area. Yeah. I guess it's like the place to... Well, it was the place to be. I, I don't know. It seems to change around. I bet, yeah. In that area. I love going to visit. Love having a sofa bed in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, that I can call my own. Uh-huh. I don't think that I could ever live in New York because I've never had the kind of job that would have me making enough money to live the way it would be comfortable to live in New York. Um, but both she and her husband are MBAs, and they both have good jobs, and they're living in New York like you'd want to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you get to visit them? Whenever, yeah. Yes. I don't get out there as often as I would like because life happens. Yeah. But I love being able to go there. I love visiting New York. All the museums. There's a lot there. All the food. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was in, lived in New York for like two and a half years. Uh, before I moved to Chicago, I was in New York. What were you doing in New York? I was finishing up my clinical rotations as part of medical school, mm-hmm. doing a year of research, and then that's yeah, I was in I was in uh, very Finland Park. I lived in Brooklyn, and Bushwick, which is now becoming very popular because it's off the train and everyone's moving further into mm-hmm. Brooklyn because it's so expensive. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I loved living in New York, and but. Yeah, Chicago is kind of like a nice balance between a big city and something uh, not so big like in context. It's more suburban. When my sister comes back now to visit Chicago from New York, she'll say it's so clean. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know how in New York they push the garbage cans in front of the house when it's trash pickup day? Yeah. They live in a brownstone. Uh And it's just, yeah, it is kind of wild how all the trash is in the front yard and... um, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's not much space there. Mm-hmm. You just have to put it where it is. And I remember yeah. flying in and out of New York on the airplane. Chicago is big, mm-hmm. but you fly in and out of New York, and those it goes on and on and on and on. It's really astounding. Yeah. And so back to the radio, I'm kind of curious. So what in high school, when did you start doing radio? Probably my sophomore year of high school. Uh-huh. I got the FCC license. You know, you had to do that back then. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So these were public airways that like oh, yeah. people like just driving their car could tune into? Yeah, you know, still, uh-huh. if you're driving your car, yeah. you go, I think ours was 
88.1. And if you go down to that end of the dial, where I live now, Mm -hmm. if I go down to that end of the dial, I get the, um, I think it's called Lewis University. Uh There's a school out here in Lockport and I get their station. And it's so funny to me because they're playing Uh the same stuff that I was playing Uh in the, 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 the punky stuff, the... Gosh, I heard some Sex Pistols thing, and some uh-huh. it oh, yeah. seems like it's the same kids playing the same stuff, which has now been what since the eighties? Yeah, like forty years ago. Uh huh. Yeah. And it's not really radical anymore, but it still is radical so if you're that age and you haven't been exposed to it. Yeah. And I get a kick out of turning on the. Uh-huh. Yeah, if you go, if what is that? The left end of the dial. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, it is. You can. You can hear high now, school. You too can hear high school kids. I'll uh, I'll tune mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. So what kind of what kind of bands were you playing? Um, I sort of missed music because my parents were WBBM news radio people, hmm. and I didn't have older siblings, so I sort of missed the Beatles and all of that kind of thing. Rolling Stones. I missed all of that until I was older. So by the time I was really getting into and I was I was really getting into it and paying mm-hmm. attention to music, it was Talking Heads and Laurie Anderson and Boomtown Rats and mm-hmm. Pretenders. Mm-hmm. Big with the Pretenders, big with the Elvis Costello. Uh-huh. Huge with the David Bowie. Uh-huh. Um, Joe Jackson. Uh-huh. I've never been a big Beatles fan. I just Yeah. I mean some of it's okay. I think, yeah, I like I, yeah, I listen to the Beatles nowadays and I appreciate it. I think they're, yeah, brilliant, but I never grew up with it. So mm-hmm. I don't have that like yeah. sort of emotional attachment to yeah. it. Like, yeah. Exactly. I went through a phase when I wanted to learn how to play the violin because Laurie Anderson played the violin. I think this is when I was in college. Mm-hmm. And I, when I was home for a break from school, went to the... Um, North Shore Country Day School, a place where you can take music lessons close to where my parents lived then, uh-huh. and got a violin, and it was me and all these little kids who were going to take our like early violin yeah. lessons, and I did not excel, uh-huh. and hit the point where I either had to, I was renting the instrument, and then you know you hit the point where you have to buy it or give it back. Yeah, and I just wound up giving it back, figuring I had other priorities at that point, but. Yeah. Looking at Laurie Anderson and her great look and that electric violin. It seems like a hard instrument to like learn. Like It is. You can't really fake it. Although mm-hmm. I have a number of friends who have taken music classes and loved them through the Old Town School of Folk Music. Mm-hmm. So it has crossed my mind that if maybe fiddle would be more forgiving. I don't know. I don't know if there's a difference really between the physical instrument, between a, f- a fiddle and a violin. Uh-huh. Is it how you play it or is it the instrument? Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't know. So why do you like these instruments, like the violin or the fiddle? You didn't go to like the... Like the piano or like guitar. I love strings. I love uh-huh. violin. I love cello. When I was in junior high, I hit the age where the school wants you to pick an instrument. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to play the cello. Mm-hmm. And I was told at the time that my fingers were too short. I can't play the fellow. And I'm sorry, there is nothing wrong with my fingers. Yeah, they look long enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe they ran out of instruments or something. I don't know what happened. But yeah. I think I got reamed. 
on mm-hmm. my opportunity to be the cello prodigy that I could have been. <laughs> so I picked the clarinet. Uh-huh. I was not good at it. Yeah. I sort of dragged it around for junior high in the very beginning of high school. Mm-hmm. It was never good. Um, could play Delta Dawn uh-huh. on it. Um, they wanted us to do the Princess Leia's medley from Star Wars. Uh-huh. And that's a lot of high notes. Very No, I never... I don't think I cared enough to really make the effort to make it sound good. Um, At one point, I think soon after college, for a little bit of time, I dated a guy who was a classical clarinet player. Mm -hmm. And wow, when you hear it played well, it's outstanding. Mm -hmm. But I could not get excited about playing it. So in in college, what what were you studying? Journalism? Or like, what did you... Psychology. Psychology. Psychology, actually, um, was my major... And when I graduated or was getting close to graduating from college, I flipped out a little bit because I felt as though if I was going on to become a psychologist in some capacity, that meant that I had to be wise enough to help advise other people what to do with their lives. Mm -hmm. And I did not feel in any way prepared, ready, or smart enough to do that. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to go straight on, as you know, Graduate school is really the thing to do after you study psychology unless you choose to make $12,000 for the rest of your life, which makes it difficult to support yourself. Mm -hmm. Doing what? Well, people do if they don't go to graduate school. Well, I went down to my placement office in college where I was a regular, and they wound up hooking me up with a job at a Quaker boarding school Uh outside of Washington, Uh D.C., where I was in charge of girls boarding and the field trips for all the boys and girls. So I learned to drive a school bus. (laughs) I had my license to drive the school bus, Uh which was a horrifying experience. How big is the school bus? It's big. Yeah. It's a bus. A big bus. And if I never have to drive one again, life is better. (laughs) And I lived on the dorm. It was a big sort of traditional colonial looking building in Mm -hmm. um, Sandy Spring, Maryland. Uh Uh-huh. So... Was it the guy who oversaw the boys' dorm? But he also he was also a teacher, I think. Lived in an apartment at, at one end, and I lived in an apartment at the other end, and I was in charge of the girls' boarding. And then I think it was 70-some kids mm-hmm. who lived at the school. Mm-hmm. And then it was also a day school. Mm-hmm. So other kids would come to high school in the day. Mm-hmm. But many of the boarders were kids of diplomats, because it was right outside Washington, D.C. Yeah. And the diplomats who traveled a lot overseas uh-huh. put their kids in a boarding school so their kids would be okay when they were traveling often. So a lot of kids from other countries? or Some kids. I remember uh-huh. I was really fond of a, of a girl from Ivory Coast. Mm-hmm. There were some kids from other countries, but mm-hmm. others were kids of parents who traveled to other countries. Uh-huh. So I came up with field trips for high school kids. We'd go to the aquarium. We'd mm-hmm. go... They loved to go to the mall. <laughs> We'd go to the mall. We'd yeah. go to... There was an outdoor... It was called the Lexington Market, like an mm-hmm. outdoor open-air market with the fish vendors and the produce vendors, and that was fun to go to. Uh-huh. Yeah, I got very good at coming up with things to go and do. And wow. to this day, <laughs> I can put together when people are coming into town to visit, you know, I'm just good at finding random things to do because I... Did you it. Did it for a while. I did it for a while. And so part you, of my goal at yeah, that time was yeah. to decide if I wanted to teach. Mm. And I decided that no, I didn't. 
And after that, I was thinking, uh, this is when I, I was very involved in a poetry writing group that, in Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. I was writing poetry every day and thought that I wanted to go to graduate school in creative writing. Mm-hmm. And my father said, no, you need to make a living. Uh-huh. You know, and he did not see that as any viable way to be able to make a living. Yeah. So I went to graduate school in journalism. Uh-huh. And that's how that happened. And so you're doing psychology, then you realize you went to the counselor and you're talking to him. He said you didn't want to really pursue that route without going to... You didn't really want to go... You didn't want... I didn't feel wise enough uh-huh. to be a psychologist for other people yeah. at that point. I felt too unsure of myself mm-hmm. and where I was going next. And so, like, the boarding school is like a nice way to kind of gather your thoughts and figure out what you needed mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. And that was, a, that was a very good experience. There were a few other, there were probably a dozen faculty members who lived on the campus. Uh-huh. And we were all, give or take, the same age. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, that's where my best friend there, my fellow, she was a faculty member, um, was from Texas. Mm. And she would say, oh, you jump in the car four hours to go to a movie. That's nothing. <laughs> she was the one who gave me a sense of how big, how vast Texas, Texas is. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how long were you at that school for? A year. I think I arrived in the summer, so maybe a year and a half-ish. Uh-huh. You would work on a weekend and then straight through on a week, and then you'd have about four days off. That's just how the cycle went. Mm. And at that time, I was seeing someone, seeing a man who had been a friend in high school and a friend all through college, and now we were seeing each other, and he lived at Outer Banks mm. in North Carolina. Uh-huh. So I would often, on those four days, when you have when you live on a dorm and have four days off, you physically want to leave uh-huh. because nobody cares whether you're really on work or off work. So it's they always come bother you and disturb right, you. Right. So, mm-hmm. so I would spend a lot of time going to Outer Banks, uh-huh. which was that was that's a whole different lifestyle into itself. That's mm. the whole beach people. Outer Banks say, is near the coast. It is the coast. It's uh-huh. a it's a thin strip of island which is not island it's probably what peninsula or something mm-hmm. off of the coast of north carolina mm. so it's where the wright brothers first took up their plane oh really mm-hmm. hmm. and all when the hurricanes come through they just get slammed yeah it must be like pretty bad over there yeah. wasn't pretty though when it's, oh, it's nice beautiful beautiful and especially mm-hmm. in the fall when all those grasses all those beach grasses uh-huh turn color yeah yeah, that was, that was a very nice time in life. That was good. Mm. But I did not see myself staying working with high school students for yeah. all time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Was it pretty hard dealing with high school students? Mm. I think I got Because you weren't too much older than them. No. Probably. And that was hard because mm. I didn't look that much older than them. I mm-hmm. mean, some of them probably looked older than I did with uh-huh. the makeup and the clothes and everything. Yeah. It was hard to get kids to I mean listen to you and to listen yeah, to me yeah I mean I could hear them somehow they could go out the back door of the school somehow but they could get up on the roof and uh-huh. they're not allowed to leave the dorm after a certain time in the evening and I could hear them I could hear kids them running back and forth yeah yeah and you know you pick your battles but <laughs> I don't think I was a very threatening <laughs> yeah authority figure 
I think they liked me. You know, right. I like them. Right. But it's different when you need to discipline kids and keep them in line. Yeah, I bet. Mm-hmm. I still think that would be hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you were writing poetry in, in your free time mm-hmm. when you were there. Every morning. Every morning. And then uh, you still have that? Those poems? Probably not. Mm. And I think I've moved around enough now. Yeah. And downsized several times. Yeah. And at some point, as I was telling you earlier, I would like to challenge myself to try creative writing in some capacity again. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, I was decent at it. I love words. Mm-hmm. And I miss making any form of art. It's too easy to let that get lost amid all it is that we have to do all day. Mm-hmm. What would your poetry be about? That's a good question. Meaningfulness, probably, in some way. I find that as we get older, some of these bigger questions about what is important, what isn't important, become more meaningful. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where exactly to go with that, but I think that sort of more conceptual type of thought would be more where I would be writing than, for instance, nature. I don't see myself as a nature poet. Mm-hmm. It's something on the more how we choose our priorities, how we choose our values, how we live our values. Uh huh. And are those the same kind of things you're drawn to now? Mm-hmm. I mean, for reading, you and I have talked about the storytelling for reading. I just love a good story. Mm-hmm. Who was I reading? I was reading recently, um, sitting there on my table, and I'm not going to grab the name. Mm-hmm. But I have enjoyed reading his poetry because he is one of the people I've read who's depicted a party scene or told a story in a poem in a Frank O'Hara uh-huh. that is just different and more tangible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm enjoying that right now. It's something different for me. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll check it out. Sounds really interesting. I'll show you the book before okay. you leave. Yeah. Yeah. Then you decided you went to journalism school. I went to journalism school. I went up to University of Wisconsin at Madison, mm-hmm. which was probably not the best fit, but I was anxious. I was now living back with my parents. I was working at a coffee shop in Evanston. Mm-hmm. And wanted to get on with things. And at Madison, I could start school in January mm-hmm. instead of waiting for the next calendar school year. Yeah. So I went up to Madison and found myself in a journalism program with a lot of people who were studying sort of communications theory mm-hmm. as opposed to the practice of reporting. Mm-hmm. So I wound up with one particular mentor professor and then started freelancing for that. At the time, there were two daily papers in Madison, Capital Times and State Journal. Mm-hmm. So I freelanced for those papers, and that's really where I learned probably more about practice of... You know, um, the program was not the right fit for really what I wanted to do. What is communication theory? Um, how public opinion is shaped, how through writing or delivery of a message you can influence people, persuade people, persuasion. Um, gets a little bit into advertising. How to effectively deliver information to convince people of a specific message. Yeah. And I remember there was some real 
almost science aspects of the program, like really looking at the brain and how the brain processes information, how if information is presented in certain ways, it's going to affect the brain or the literally how you process information differently, right. learning to understand and use that. I think a lot of the people in this program I was in were probably going more into the media industry as opposed to writing. Mm-hmm. But again, through doing my own things. And did you know what drew you? And like when you went there and you were doing these journalistic pieces uh, for these newspapers, did you know already then like what like drew like drew people was driving you? You like you people already stories, hundred percent. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I love to be able, and I did this. I then had a full time job as a reporter, and then when I lived in Oak Park, I freelanced a lot for the um, Oak Leaves. Mm-hmm. paper I remember there that. in Wisconsin. I remember doing a whole story on RVs and RV sales, campers, uh-huh. um, something on bowling, uh-huh. something on being a stock boy at the grocery store. Uh-huh. Talked to some nuns who were teachers. I'm doing something on use, use of computers in the classroom back when that was like a new thing. Yeah. Um, in Oak Park, I've done that Puritz stationery store. Remember uh-huh. that stationery store that was at the corner of Ridgeland, right where the L track goes by? Mm-hmm. That old world looking yeah, store. Yeah, I remember that. They had like, like typewriters in the windows and who stuff. Who are these people? Mm-hmm. You know, just going to, you know, like, who are you and why do you do this and how did this happen? And just, I just love mm-hmm. learning about all these niche things and understanding a little bit more about what drives people, why people do what they do. Uh huh. This is fascinating to me. So you were kind of doing, so your Kind pieces, of doing what you were doing, but in writing. Kind of doing what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it is a thrill mm-hmm. when people will reveal something of themselves to mm-hmm. you. It's just, it's fascinating and it's mm-hmm. wonderful to get to understand a little bit more about what drives people. Yeah. I remember interviewing one woman, gosh, I think this would have been job as a report. I don't think this was in Wisconsin. But she, her brother had just been killed in Afghanistan. I don't even remember what mm. was going on at the time. This would have been around 1990. I don't even know what conflict we were in mm-hmm. then. But she just lost her brother, and she had the folded flag, you know, the military flag, and she's holding the flag and just crying and talking about her brother. And, mm. you know, like, who am I mm-hmm. to get to walk in and ask her questions about how she feels and about her brother? But mm-hmm. people open up. And they share. Mm-hmm. And it's just... Why do people share? What do, they, what do they get out of it? Probably a little better sense of self. Mm-hmm. Like, aren't I... If I get to share my story with you, aren't I validating a little bit more that I'm me? Mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of it. I'm sure some of it is less self-centered, more looking for just a real connection with another person. We define ourselves by our stories. Mm-hmm. and our experiences and to be able to share that is helping somebody else really see you mm-hmm. it's fun at parties you know you know how you can go up to somebody that you haven't met before and just start talking and it is just amazing what people will tell you you kind of open up and you kind of mm-hmm. see and you really get a sense of picture of someone's life mm-hmm. or if you're on an airplane mm-hmm. sitting next to someone and you're just trapped with this person that you'll never see again for two hours on an airplane or three hours on an airplane mm-hmm some of those conversations are just astounding. Mm-hmm. And do you still have those? I feel like people don't talk to each other on airplanes. 
If they don't, I don't think as much as they used to, but do you still talk to people on airplanes? I don't fly on airplanes. as I used mm-hmm. to. In some PR jobs that I've had, I've traveled more with my work. Last time I flew, last time I flew on an airplane, I was with Don. That was going to New York City. Mm-hmm. But through my years of being self-employed and then changing jobs a couple of times to find the right fit, since I was self-employed, I just haven't had vacation. I haven't had time to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So you're doing these journalistic pieces in college. Well, I'll tell you, you just you do remind me of being a younger commuting person, and I would always talk to people on the um, public transportation, which we also don't do anymore. Mm-hmm. But I talked to people on the L train. Yeah. And I got to the point where I knew so many people on the L train on my commute yeah. that every now and then you just don't want to talk to someone. Uh-huh. And I would have to actively work it to like find some car, find some place where I wouldn't run into the same really? people that I would talk to. Yeah. I would have to start hiding from my train Wow, friends. you knew everyone. Yeah. So I remember when we were living in Oak Park, you'd be commuting to your job every day through the L train, right? Yes. I, would have, I was with the... Chicago Association of Realtors at that time, mm-hmm. and, I believe. And then when I stopped that, I was self-employed. And at that time, where you commuted, that time where you were like talking to everyone on L train. No, at that time I was over it. Uh huh. That time it was more about maintaining some private space. Uh huh. On the train. This was more in my younger Brown Line days. Uh huh. Yeah, I when we lived in um, Ravenswood mm. area. Uh huh. And then before that, we had when I was a, a young married person, we had an apartment in Evanston, and I would take the train downtown. So you just go. You would start spark the conversations. How would these conversations start? I don't even remember. I don't. You know, it's just you have your people who are open to talking and people who aren't. But I remember mm-hmm. one of my train friends worked for the um, Playboy. He was a photographer with the Playboy. Oh yeah. Taking pictures of models? I don't know what he said. I don't need to know what he took pictures of. But my office building was pretty close. He, yeah. That was the, that blue-roofed building yeah. in the city. And my yeah. I was out there on East Ohio. So my office was right next to where he was. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, come on over and tour sometime. Mm-hmm. So I did. Yeah. You know, I went in and just saw all the offices there and all the stage sets where they... You know, and it was, you know, that's cool. That's where they take pictures and uh, yeah. stuff? Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. And all the... Yeah like floozy looking wardrobe that they had for people yeah it was if you don't open yourself up to opportunities then you don't get to have many of the experiences that we have yeah so i think it's more sad when we're all afraid to talk to each other yes yeah Mm -hmm. especially in chicago chicago is such a city where there's like so many different worlds you know you can like step into one building and be totally in a different place and that's one thing I kind of like started appreciating more about Chicago in the last couple of years where I've had more, I've just been kind of exploring a little bit more just how much variety of different experiences there are here. And I still, yeah. I love, I would take that train downtown every day and would never get tired of looking out the window. Mm-hmm. That's fun too, just to look at the people, look at the storefronts, look at the apartments. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of different stories. Yeah. So when you were living in the red line, brown line, what was what were you doing in your life at that time? After I was a reporter until I was married. I got married when I was 24, mm-hmm. I think. 
and I was doing night meetings and doing the things that go along with um, being a reporter. And my job was inconvenient. It was in Barrington. And where's Barrington? Way out. Uh-huh. Out beyond Buffalo Grove. It is, if you get on Lake Cook Road mm-hmm. and drive straight west, mm-hmm. it's far. Okay. Um, my ex-husband was also a journalist. That's how we met each other was through talking journalism. But he was with a Chicago Daily Law Bulletin. So it was a daily paper that came. He, he worked regular work hours because it was a daily paper that got published when the lawyers were in their offices. He didn't know night meetings, none of that, because mm-hmm. they were lawyers. So I wanted to get some more regular hours so I could actually see my husband mm-hmm. and switched over to public relations at that time. Uh-huh. And my first PR job was with a brand new company. I think there were three other people, the two guys who founded the company and then a receptionist Mm -hmm. when I started. And I was with them for six or seven years. Uh We probably grew as big as about 15 people or so. Mm -hmm. Then I didn't want to do agency work anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I took a job with Rehab Institute of Chicago doing PR. And then from there, I did media relations for Northwestern Memorial Hospital. Mm -hmm. Then we moved out to the western suburbs, out to Glen Ellen. Mm-hmm. And I did PR for the Morton Arboretum for probably another six years or so. Mm-hmm. So what does public relations mean? Public relations means building a help working to build a good um, image and set of relationships for the company or organization that you represent, mm-hmm. and working to get publicity through ways other than paid advertising. Uh huh. So media relations is a subset of that. Mm -hmm. If I have a story that really is significant enough that it's worth some other reporter coming out and covering it and putting it in the paper, that is great coverage that I'm not paying for. Right. So that's PR. Mm. Or PR would be, let's start a scholarship for um, underprivileged kids who want to be woodworkers. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that's goodwill into the community and reflects well on your organization. Mm -hmm. Um, and would that be often altruistically motivated or self in, out of self-interest? Yeah, or self, kind of, out of, kind well, of for, for a company, it, for, kind of both. Uh-huh. I mean, for the most part, you're looking to build a positive image of your business. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, you want to sell more. Or I did PR for um, Brookfield Zoo mm-hmm. through an agency. But a lot of what I was doing was promoting things to get more people in the door. Mm-hmm. I love the animal science part of it. I remember getting some good coverage on frogs. Uh There were scientists who were studying these particular frogs in South America. And as you watched how a particular fungus was killing a set of frogs, they were learning something about how disease spread. Uh That was cool. Mm. Um, I remember doing something on penguins and something on dolphins and Uh pitched those stories and the paper would be interested because they were cool stories. Mm -hmm. But what the zoo wanted just as much was attention to Barbie Day or some radio station coming to broadcast on site, things that really Mm -hmm. bring people in the door. Yeah. You know, they're they're a not-for-profit organization. They're a great organization, but they Mm -hmm. need volume in the door. Yeah. So often the stuff that I thought was most interesting wasn't necessarily where they would want to be putting the attention 
mm-hmm. because they want hot selling things like some radio DJ. You can't stay open if you don't sell tickets and bring people in the door. Yeah. So even for a not-for-profit like that, the, mm-hmm. the, the ultimate goal is to mm-hmm. keep your business going. Right. Did you like public relations? Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. I think I got out of it ultimately because, well, the last PR job I had was with an agency and I wanted to be back on staff with an organization. Like Some people love agency work because you work for a variety of different clients mm-hmm. or maybe you have one client intensively for a while and then you move on to a different one. Mm-hmm. And there's something really fun about that. Mm-hmm. But I think fundamentally I like being part of something. Mm-hmm. So agency is kind of like you just like do whatever the agency wants you to do. You don't have necessarily have a say in whatever public relations. No, you have getting. you have clients. You're an account executive. Uh huh. So maybe it's on you to be helping Brookfield Zoo come up with ideas to promote whatever it wants to promote. Mm-hmm. And then oh, I also worked with the um, endovascular surgeons. Mm-hmm. They wanted to be promoting their an- annual conference every year, so we'll work on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also did some things for my little brothers, friends of the elderly. So you work with the client to talk about what is it that they want to promote. Mm-hmm. And then you well, you over, either do or you oversee teams that are then working to develop these messages. You pitch them to the client. Mm-hmm. You say, this is what I hear that your problem is. This is what, or, or what your goal is. And this is how I see we could achieve that goal. How do you feel about this? They say, yes, sounds great. I love it. And then mm-hmm. you, and often it's, it's media, often it's media relations, wanting uh-huh. to get coverage of things. Mm-hmm. So you were doing like night meeting? What are, why do you have to do night meetings? Oh, like city council. Uh-huh. Those meetings that just can be long and tedious and extend until all hours of the night because people are arguing about water commission rates or zoning or the kinds of things that get people mm-hmm. arguing into the night at city council meetings. Yeah, so you had to cover that for the paper. like what And then I had to go on. back to the office and write it uh-huh. because it had to be... Done before the next morning. Uh-huh. Those long days. Those are long days. Yeah. And then maybe you don't go in until noon the next day, but mm-hmm. it's not a normal cycle. It's not a normal work day. Yeah. And at that time, I valued having a normal work day because of mm-hmm. my relationship. Mm-hmm. And that kind of motivated me to the public relations job. Mm-hmm. And did you miss journalism at that point? Or were mm-hmm. you getting it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was doing a lot of writing now in public relations. So mm-hmm. I guess I didn't miss it right then necessarily. Mm-hmm. But later on, when I knew you in Oak Park and I was doing the freelancing, you know, yes, I wanted to continue with that kind of work mm-hmm. because I enjoy it. In in Oak Park, so how long were you in Oak Park before I got there? I think about two years. Uh-huh. I think I moved there in... in um, 2008? Yeah. And where'd you mm-hmm. move from? Glen Ellen. Glen Ellen. Glen Ellen. I had mm-hmm. um, been divorced and rented for a year. For whatever reason, I had it in my head that I wanted to move to Oak Park. I didn't know much about Oak Park, but I was from Evanston, and I had heard people compare often Oak Park and Evanston, and I was working in the city, so I wanted easy access to the city. Mm -hmm. 
and um, I wanted old building stock because I like the vintage buildings. Mm-hmm. And going from Glen Ellen toward the city, you just can't find it until you you know it's all the newer things, the buildings built in the '60s, '70s, '80s, and mm-hmm. so it was an intentional. Like, I rented for a year in Elmhurst and then moved to Oak Park mm-hmm. because of the proximity for the city to the city mm-hmm. and the building stock. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by building stock? The vintage. The, the, the yeah, vintage. The actual building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I started volunteering with the Frank Lloyd Wright Home and Studio in Oak Park mm-hmm. because I was very actively involved in historic preservation in Glen Ellen mm. and had met through that work, some of the Frank Lloyd Wright people from Oak Park, and like, these are nice people. Mm-hmm. So I figured it would be a good way to just tap into the community when yeah. I moved to Oak Park. Mm-hmm. And I was a docent there for several years. So what would you do with them? I led the home did and studio tour? tour. I did too. Oh, yeah. I, I led the home and studio tour, but my mm-hmm. more favorite, well, I, I learned a specialty tour, which was about the decorative arts within the house. Uh-huh. So the paintings and the ceramics and the, the decorative arts. Uh-huh. So that one was actually more fun for me after a while because it was just a little different hmm. than the classic home and studio. Mm-hmm. Those are all my little tour notebooks right behind you. Those are all my little... Or down here? My little cheat sheets. Yeah. For all of those tours with my notes. Oh, this, yeah, this was the House Beautiful. This was the Decorative Arts Tour. Uh-huh. And this one, oh, this is the Neighborhood Walking Tour. This one here. Oh, cool. With all the, with all the cheat sheets. Oh, so cool. Yeah, so that's all of those are. So you really knew Oak Park pretty well. I did. I was on the Oak Park Housing Commission for about six years. Uh-huh. Which is the commission that um, determines which Oak Park will give grants to some homeowners, lower income homeowners that need, that are required by inspection to do, like get rid of the lead paint or do certain upgrades. Um, so this commission would determine which homeowners would get grants to do the work they need to, or loans. Mm-hmm. Um, and also which apartment buildings, which multifamily buildings they would give loans to, or grant and or grants to do upgrades. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was about promoting diversity mm-hmm. in the community. Mm. So, again, I was on that for two terms, so six years. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I got to know Oak Park So you were there, well. you did start right away when you moved to Oak Park? Mm-hmm. You on the commission? Yep, because I was active mm-hmm. on commissions in Glen Ellen. Mm-hmm. So when I moved to Oak Park, I figured, I'm signing up for something. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fun to be on village commissions. You get a little bit of a backdoor look at what's going on. Mm-hmm. Now that I've just moved to Lockport, I'm thinking, I'm stalking the commissions here as well. I'm looking at what's available. I don't know if they actively need people, mm-hmm. but as I expressed earlier, I'm just looking for some ways to tap into this community. Mm-hmm. And commissions might be one of them. It's fun. Yeah. To anything, I think, that gives you a backdoor look at what's going on anywhere is fun. Yeah. You seem gravitated for like things which are kind of like... Com- well, community and also helping out the community. Is that mm-hmm. just something you're just naturally drawn to? Yes. Mm-hmm. Back to college. I did mm-hmm. I did not apply myself in some ways in high school, so my grade point average coming out of high school was not fabulous, and my college accepted me on the basis of my community service record. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, I have volunteered in most of my whole life. So what kind of volunteers were you doing back back in high school? Hospital. Uh huh. Hospital volunteering. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done ten thousand villages. You know the fair trade volunteering. Uh huh. I've done in college. I did Planned Parenthood volunteering. This the Frank Lloyd Wright stuff. I, I did other additional art museum volunteering. Mm hmm. Yeah, I just I just like it. Just been a part of your life mm-hmm. for a long time. Mm hmm. Sure, there's a lot of things to get out of it. What kind of draws you to volunteering? Um, doing something good. Mm hmm. Meeting people, and again, I think that you just get a little bit of a privileged, a different look at things when you're part of helping something run. Mm-hmm. You get to see it from a different perspective and you get to know it with a level of depth that the general public doesn't. And I find that interesting. Mm-hmm. So when you moved to a park, why, why, why did you like about that building? Why did you move there? Because the space was huge. Mm-hmm. Because for the money that I had, I could get so much more condo in that particular building than in some of the buildings closer to Central Oak Park. Mm-hmm. And I wanted that space. Yeah. And I, I just, I fell in love. I fell in love with the woodwork mm-hmm. in that building. Mm-hmm. I, what about it? What about the woodwork? Oh, it was just beautiful. Just all uh-huh. that natural wood. Mm-hmm. And I just, it, it was, I just thought of visually stunning yeah. space. Now I mm-hmm. got, bought that unit that was right on the alley. Mm-hmm. And at the time I figured, oh, no big deal. Get some blinds. Mm-hmm. And that, that was a mistake. Mm-hmm. It was loud and it was filthy. I mean, dirt just came in off that alley even when your windows were shut. Really? Yeah. Mm. So I feel um, rather fortunate to have sold that unit mm-hmm. because I, and I would not, never, never buy on an alley again. But Was that what motivated you to sell it? You just kind of sick of living on the alley? No. I felt when I, when I first bought that building, mm-hmm. I had a different job and was making a lot more money and immediately got downsized. So I think I was in, I don't think, I believe, I I know, Mm -hmm. I was in over my head a little bit financially with that space within the first year of being there because I had a job cut. Mm -hmm. Uh, I found a new job pretty quickly after I was downsized, but at a lower salary. Mm -hmm. So it was too much space and too much money. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to not have that over my head anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. When I had somebody else helping share the rent with me in that space, that was okay. Mm-hmm. But when I didn't want to share space anymore, wanted my own space, I just wanted to be done with it. Also, I didn't have faith in the condo board, if you can believe it. Yeah, I have a hard in, time believing that. Right. Yeah. In that building. And I think just the reluctance to put money into long-term mm-hmm. upkeep of the building scared me. Yeah. It's like, this is one big financial disaster waiting to happen. Right. And I didn't want to be there when it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I moved to a 650-square-foot condo in mm-hmm. Forest Park. Mm-hmm. I love that condo. That was a great condo. Yeah. And I still own it. I'm renting it now. Mm-hmm. What do you like about it so much? The windows. Well, first mm-hmm. off, I like that it's smaller. Mm-hmm. It's a bedroom. It's pretty small, 650. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a bedroom, a living room, and a kitchen. Uh-huh. And it was like living room office. Mm-hmm. And that living room office has one wall that's glass, which is just a big sliding door onto a balcony. Mm. 
And I just, I love that it was smaller. I love that it just made you pare down to just that amount of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I loved all the light mm. that came in. It faced west. So I would have the most beautiful sunsets and thunderstorms were really oh, yeah. good out of that window. And I miss that window now. Mm. Yeah, I just love that condo. Mm. So I'm renting it now to mm. a 78-year-old recently widowed woman. Mm-hmm who I peripherally knew through Unity Temple. Mm -hmm. She came to me as a renter through a realtor friend of mine. But I just think it's a really awesome coincidence that I knew her yeah. through Unity Temple. Just She just seems like the safest, most responsible, best person I could possibly be renting to. That's so awesome. this is good. And yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I remember you went to the Unitarian Temple. Like, How long have you been associated with the... Uh... Unitarian like the time. Unitarian. Sometime when I was in college, my parents became Unitarians. And when I hit a point in my own life where tapping into some sort of spiritual community seemed like a good idea, I was living in Glen Ellen, mm -hmm. and I wanted to check out what this Unitarian thing was. My ex-husband was Catholic, and I did not want to be Catholic. Mm -hmm. And what I like about Unitarianism, I'm not really a God-believer. Mm-hmm. I am not a Christian believer, mm -hmm. and what I love about Unitarianism is that people can be coming from any so many different directions as long as you're all going for like some of the same common values in the here and now. Yeah. There's no dogma. Mm -hmm. There's no scripture. Yeah. So at that time, I went to the DuPage Unitarian Church mm -hmm. and just became very involved. Mm -hmm. Wonderful people. Mm -hmm. I started a religion and film group where mm. I'd pick a different film every month and people would watch it and then we'd come together and talk about it from a spiritual perspective. Uh -huh. That was fun. What kind of movies would you watch? Well, the one that comes to mind is Last Temptation of Christ. Uh -huh. I'd just find Some something sort of that religious. was available mm -hmm. by the time, something that was available on DVD mm -hmm. and that people could go find on their own easily. Mm -hmm. That wasn't necessarily overtly religious, just something that lent itself to spiritual discussion uh-huh yeah that was fun so where would you have these uh where would you show the movie people would watch it on their own time uh-huh you'd go get it mm-hmm watch it on your own tv probably you know it was mm -hmm. back when you rented these almost things. like a book club and you yeah discuss exactly it. exactly yeah and then we'd get together at the church and discuss mm. so I was very active in that and when i moved to oak park I went to check out Unity Temple, and the first time I went, I just didn't like it. Mm -hmm. At that point, I was a recently divorced person with no children. Mm -hmm. And it just, the whole thing seemed to me about families and little kids, and mm -hmm. I just didn't feel it. Mm -hmm. So I started going to Quaker Meeting in Oak Park. Mm -hmm. They meet at the Oak Park Art League. Mm. Yeah, I know where that is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I did that, and then became involved in my relationship in Oak Park. Mm -hmm. And he didn't have any interest in the Quaker meeting, so then we went back to check out Unity Temple again, and that time it, it fit. Mm -hmm. It just felt different. Yeah. So got involved in that and met some great people. Yeah, yeah. they're really great people. Yeah. Particularly there's a, a woman's group where I have made some really good friends mm -hmm. and people I hope to be able to maintain friendship with, although now I'm out here. Yeah. I stopped going to church a while ago, I think probably sometime during my years of being self-employed because so much of the work I did was on weekends. Mm -hmm. So, 
Yeah, I was going to the Union Temple not as sometimes ago on occasion. I know that you did go. Yeah. One on occasion. And then I think through that I met at the Unitarian Temple, like on the other side of Austin. There's yes. one right over yes. there. Uh huh. You know, and I don't go to that one, but what I did start have done in the last for the last two or three years is like I volunteered at their garden. The community garden over oh, there. that's something. So I have like own plot, which I really don't care, but they just want someone to mm -hmm. have, you know, rent a plot for $20, right? So I can, uh, I rent a plot. Last year I got so much like collard green. I, I had too much vegetables to know what to do with, but it's fun, you know, that. It's the, what, first, first United, first Unitarian, first church. I believe so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, I want to get more involved in that. I like the, the garden and... The people. That's where my realtor friend Roz goes. Uh -huh. You might have met Roz. I probably have. Yeah, or you probably will. I probably will, yeah. Yeah, yeah that does seem like a good community mm -hmm. over there. Yeah. I would like to find something here. Now that I'm in Lockport, there's nothing... I've looked it up. There's mm -hmm. nothing Unitarian out here. Mm -hmm. um, Don's background is Lutheran, and mm -hmm. I don't really see myself going to Lutheran church, mm -hmm. but I'd like to find something mm -hmm. out here that maybe he would be willing to go to also, because I think when you're in relationship, it's nice to have a spiritual dimension to share. Mm -hmm. But just to get back in the swing of it, because I haven't done anything. For how long? Overtly. Probably four years now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is kind of like, you're missing that aspect of things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I remember, so in Oak Park, you, you were at that one job, and you... You quit the job and you started a business. Started my own. Yeah, I bought a mm -hmm. franchise, Caring Transitions, mm -hmm. and helped older people downsize and did that for about four years. And that was that was a wonderful experience. I got out of that because I wound up just feeling like 90% of the people who hired me wanted an estate sale. And I got in it to work with older people. I didn't mm -hmm. get into it to sell things and I just felt like a used furniture salesperson mm -hmm. and clients were often even when they liked me even when everything was good they were mm -hmm. just unhappy because I can't sell their used things for the amount of money that they wanted to get for their used things mm -hmm. so they're always unhappy mm -hmm. and I learned some wonderful things about stuff mm -hmm. I made some great friends through stuff but fundamentally, I really like people more than I like stuff. Mm -hmm. So I wanted, I took a job. One of the senior communities that gave me a lot of referrals lost their marketing person. She quit. Mm -hmm. And so I stepped into that role. Mm -hmm. And that, in the end, that senior community wasn't where I wanted to be. But it served the purpose of transitioning into the senior community realm. Mm-hmm from being a self-employed person. Yeah. And then I found this current job, which I love, in the dementia community, in the, the memory care community. So going from that job, there's, there's this other job you're talking about, then you came here, is that right? There's... There was caring transitions, mm -hmm. and then there was the independent and assisted living community where I took, where I went right after caring transitions. Uh -huh. And I think I made it there about nine months mm -hmm. when I this opportunity came up and I just bailed so what were you doing over there the independent sales and marketing uh -huh. same thing uh -huh. 
same thing. I just didn't have a lot of faith in the leadership there. And the pay was horrendous, mm -hmm. which I knew going into it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, well, I can work with this. It'll get me into that field. Right. But I couldn't, I couldn't really. I mean, once I was, it's one thing to think about, oh, yeah, I could deal with that. But when you're really trying to pay your bills mm -hmm. on, I mean, it was like, it was not living wage mm -hmm. for Chicago area. Yeah. So I think I couldn't have, if I, I'm glad I didn't love the job mm -hmm. because I couldn't have stayed there. Yeah. So I was had a wandering eye for that reason, but also I really wanted to get into the dementia space. It's just really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And um, why? Um, the mystery of it all. I just I find it compelling to work with people who really need a level of assistance. Mm -hmm and who are dealing with this disease that is presents itself in so many different ways mm -hmm. and how what manifests in their own personalities you know like what makes somebody with dementia a happy person versus a sad person or a combative person or it's just i, I just find it compelling mm -hmm. and to understand who our residents were when they were professional people or mm -hmm. adult people before they got the disease and now look at and look at who they are now mm -hmm. and try and reconcile mm -hmm. all of this i just i just find it a lot of empathy for it mm -hmm. and find it fascinating find mm -hmm. it compelling is it hard is it heartbreaking sometimes mm -hmm. we're a new community now and we have had one person die one person leave because she had a wound that became beyond our... She had to go to a skilled nursing facility that mm -hmm. became beyond our ability to care for. I just learned recently that one of our most beloved residents um, is in stage three mm -hmm. kidney failure and probably won't live that much longer. I mean, it is hard knowing that I have signed myself up for a job where death is going to be a regular part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But... It's the life cycle. Mm -hmm. I think we as a culture, and we as individuals, who wants to think about the fact that you're going to die? It's not pretty. No. But it's going to happen. And yeah, so and it is not an entirely happy job, but I think... For those patients who have dementia... It just seems, it seems, uh, and sometimes I'm wondering, is life worth living when you have dementia like that? You know, it's, I don't know, I mean, that, that's like not, you know, when you're going through that, I just wonder, um, it seems so, I know, I don't, I don't have any, I only have abstract thoughts about it, you know, and I've seen that. I saw that movie was Still Alice, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and that was so hard to watch. Um. It's it's an interesting question. I mean, mm -hmm. certainly, I believe that for people with dementia, I mean, I've watched the people, even some of our people who seem more progressed with the disease when you just... We had a bowling game recently, you know, with the plastic bowling pins. 
And I'm thinking of one of the gentlemen we have in particular who's pretty far advanced, but when the, the woman who was assisting got the bowling ball in his hand, mm-hmm. helped him, not the ball, it, it's, it's a modified bowling ball. It's not a real heavy bowling ball. Yeah. But helped him roll this. I mean, he he smiles. Yeah. You know, you can see that even at that stage, he yeah. can still have a sense of enjoyment, mm-hmm. a sense of, you know, I guess whether life is worth living at that is, is sort of a different kind of question. But yeah. given the concrete, he is living here, he is. How can we make his life better? Yeah. There are ways to do that. Mm-hmm. Or even just the food, you know, just the people who find joy in going to, you know, there's something for all of the different people that can bring them some sense of joy. Yeah. And how, how big is this, um, this facility? We have about 30 residents right now. We can go up to 82. Uh-huh. But it's, it's just, it's, it's brand new. It's a brand new community. Mm-hmm. So this is my job is to help fill it up. And it seems very attractive. And if I had a family member, it seems like a place where you guys really care about the residents. It's yeah. I have I have had public relations jobs in the past where I have not loved whatever it is that I'm promoting and that's hard to do. Yeah. And where I am now, I believe a hundred percent in what I'm selling, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe a hundred percent. Yeah. There are some families looking for a home for their loved one where we might not be the best fit for some functional reason. Yeah. But I 100% believe in the, the quality. Mm-hmm. So it seems like you're saying your job is, is really busy? Mm-hmm. This December, I think this month alone, I'm moving in six new residents. And I don't know how much of that is time of year you know people come home at thanksgiving and see that a parent really needs more Mm -hmm. assistance than the parent is getting or i don't know it just seems as though a lot of you hear stories with older people just a lot of sickness a lot of death around you know it just seems like a full moon time of year yeah when there's a lot of activity so i don't know how much of that is affecting how busy it is right at this moment Mm -hmm. versus we're just increasing our visibility as a new community. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the stronger, the prevailing force there? I don't know. It's busy. Yeah. So what, were people moving in, what are all the, what do you have the logistics you have to figure out? Or a what? whole lot of paperwork. Uh-huh. The apartments are, you know, between 300 and 400 square feet. So they bring a bed, they bring a dresser, they bring a chair, they bring some lamps. Mm-hmm. That logistic is not that difficult, but mm-hmm. there's some... Physicians' assessments that we need, just a whole lot of paperwork. Mm-hmm. POA documentation, um, permissions to give and ask for medical information, mm-hmm. just IDs and medication lists, and just the, the paperwork is what takes time mm-hmm. for families, especially these people who are guardians or a more distant relation. Yeah. To someone with them, they have no idea where this stuff is. Uh-huh. I mean, go find the insurance cards and the ID cards, and I mean, they have no idea. Right. Yeah, it's really yeah. difficult. So that's what's time-consuming. The mm-hmm. room itself is nothing, you know? It's like a room this big. You mm-hmm. don't need a lot. So the patients have different levels of 
care like the different pay so how what is the the structure like what a we said we have a clinical services director we have a head nurse mm-hmm. and we send her to sit with the person before they move in mm-hmm. and determine we have one two three levels of care okay the first level is when people really just need sort of standby assistance and reminders mm-hmm. like come on Kumran, it's time to get up mm-hmm. let's go take a shower Mm-hmm. And, and be sure the person is but they don't need hands on assistance they just need guidance guidance mm-hmm. maybe a lay out the clothes for you on the bed and then you can put them on uh huh that would be stage one is that just that kind of work um stage two is when people need help with maybe three to five of the ADLs mm-hmm. and then stage three is really when people need help with most everything the way ours and many memory care places are set up, once you're in the door, you can stay there. You can transition to hospice. When the time comes, you can be there through the end of your life. Mm-hmm. So really, by the time you are at the third level, you know some people need the pureed food. They need help eating. Mm-hmm. They need help with most everything. But mm-hmm. they don't need nursing care. They just need help with functioning. Uh-huh. So the time it comes to nursing care, they had to go to a different side, outside the... If they really needed it, like this woman I mentioned with the wound, mm-hmm. for most people, they get a little bit more assistance when hospice comes in, they get some nursing attention, and then they wouldn't transition out. they just stay right with us. Mm-hmm. Which is what everyone wants. Nobody wants to move. send somebody out at the very end of life. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a lousy move. Yeah. So these little different levels of care, one, two, and three, what kind of, what do they do? Do they have any activities that they do? Any um, group things that they do together? Oh, they do group things all day long. Yeah. They do the bowling, the chair exercise. There's ribbon exercise, you know, where you're waving the ribbon and getting the upper body uh-huh. movement. Uh-huh. Um, our activities director, she has um, bird watching where she mm. puts pictures of birds all up and down the hallway. Uh, yeah. So when they walk up and down, they can do bird watching and identify the different birds. Yeah. Um, they do, they have a big fancy piece of equipment where um, they can do cognitive game, like casino game kinds of things, things mm-hmm. that are on a big screen, things that are keeping your, your brain going a little bit. Mm. Um, karaoke. Uh-huh. Well, it's more like a sing-along karaoke. <laughs> they do that. Um, there's a, a family feud game show uh-huh. that they play. I mean, yeah. they really play it. And then they do like active watching uh-huh. of on this fancy piece of technology we have, there's some old TV shows mm-hmm. that are familiar to people that are in their 70s, 80s, you mm-hmm. know, like the I Love Lucy and the Andy Griffith. And uh-huh. they, can, they can play the show. And then stop it at certain points and mm-hmm. say, oh, you know, what did he mean by that? Mm. Or, oh, can you believe that he did that? You know, what does that remind you of? You know, st- active watching. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. It's that, not just parking someone in front of the television set, but mm-hmm. it's doing something with what you're watching, trying to engage in some way. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Mm-hmm. That's really great. That seems, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's good work. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to 
where, where I work is located, it's in a neighborhood. And I think that lends itself to families dropping by a lot. Mm. We have some spouses who are over almost every day. And I think it's really nice for all of the residents, even when it's not their own family, but just to have so many families in and out. Mm-hmm. is really That's nice. Great. Yeah, it really is. It sounds is. like people dropping their loved ones off and not coming and back running. at all. Running. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just kind of like a... Yeah. Uh, and they can come whenever they want to, or mm-hmm. yep, mm-hmm. yep. I mean, it's their apartment. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's kind of like, yeah. It's a it's a, officially it's a rental apartment. Mm. It's a secured community. They can't leave <laughs> unless <laughs> someone's coming to get them and bring them out. Yeah, but but it's still they there. have some autonomy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which you know, mm-hmm. dignity. No mm-hmm. matter where they are in that whole spectrum, the dignity mm-hmm. counts. Yeah. Is this place pretty unique? Are there more places like this? I think there are more places like this. Mm-hmm. I would like to think that we're doing it really well. Mm-hmm. But I would say a well-run memory community is probably similar in some respects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess like a good college or something, you know? They're all different. Mm-hmm. But they're all but, good and qual- mm-hmm. have quality. Mm-hmm. And and your role is to kind of like the public relations or is kind of like... What am I? I'm community relations director. Mm-hmm. So I'm sales and marketing with the families. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also public relations. I'm out into the community. I'm out at the rehab places and the hospitals and the psych units and the churches and mm-hmm. trying to build relationships with these places who might have or know mm-hmm. patients with dementia who are going to wind up needing a home. Mm-hmm. And then I also schedule a lot of events in our building. I schedule a lot of talks, um, the CEU classes uh-huh. for social workers and case work, case managers who need those credits. I've had in January... Well, CEU, Continuing Education? Mm-hmm. 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 In January, I have a speaker coming on music and the brain. Mm-hmm. And these speakers are talking to all the residents? No, no, no. They're to, talking to, to the, the public. Staff. To the public. To the public. Pro- mm-hmm. Particularly what I want to bring in is professionals, like mm-hmm. people who would be good referral sources for us, social workers, case managers, mm-hmm. and then also family members of our residents or just people in the community mm-hmm. who find it interesting. Anybody's welcome, and it's all free. Mm-hmm. But I've done talks on just basic dementia. What else have we did? We did something on VA, ben- accessing your VA benefits. Again, just talk, managing behaviors, managing dementia behaviors. Uh-huh. Just talks along those lines. So mm-hmm. often it's going to be professionals who are the ones who come. But mm-hmm. there are, if you have a relative, yeah. you know, that, that could be interesting to community people as well. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Like, how often do you have these sorts of like speakers or? I aim for once a month. Mm-hmm. We can also do virtual dementia training, mm-hmm. which means people put on certain gloves and wear glasses and put on headphones that have some crazy noises going on, little prickly things, shoe inserts, uh-huh. which um, all are approximating different aspects of having dementia to give regular people. You have an idea of what it's like to go yeah, through it. Exactly. Like, so empathy and Exactly. 
Wow. And I'll tell you, that's one miserable experience. You go through virtual dementia training once and you'll never want to do it again. And, I want to try and, it. And it really does give you... I remember wearing all this crazy stuff and I'm supposed to go hang up. You, we do it within one of the rooms that we have at one of the apartments. And I had was supposed to go and hang up a jacket or something in the closet. Mm-hmm. And it was just a few feet from me to this closet. And mm-hmm. I was flipped out to walk over there because you, you just feel like you're going to fall through the floor. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, it, it just... It, it was terrifying mm-hmm. and it does really give you empathy for the fact that a person who refuses to do something may mm-hmm. not be stubborn mm-hmm. or may not be trying to give you attitude, mm-hmm. but they're terrified. Mm-hmm. It, it really uh, is eye-opening and mm-hmm. I'm sure it, it's not approximating exactly. I mean, how could it? Right. But enough so. Mm-hmm. Definitely important, and yeah. that seems like, mm-hmm. yeah, even the best intentioned people sometimes can, you know, yep, yep, might get frustrated. Mm-hmm. Well, I would definitely like to come to one of these talks. I'll uh, tell you when we're doing. I think, yeah, I think we'll be doing it in January. I'll let you know. Well, we'll be doing it somewhat regularly, but I can mm-hmm. let you know absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that would be fun to have you do it. Yeah would be good for you because yeah, I'm sure that you encounter in your work mm-hmm. on occasion mm-hmm. families with whom this is an issue mm-hmm. probably good for everyone <laughs> everyone could do it yeah well should we wrap I, this I up I think so yeah it seems like a good ending point and thank you for letting me talk oh so it's my pleasure thank you so much for you know, doing this podcast and Really appreciate it, and it was, yeah. Yay, dead air. Yay, dead air. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, you can do my public relations. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much.